Hi, everybody. Welcome to 20Q, 20 Questions with Interesting People, where we learn the origin stories of everyday superheroes in the LGBT community and friends. I'm your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and our guest this time is raconteuse, bon vivant, woman about town, an award-winning songwriter, singer, guitarist, producer, and life coach, Kate Shutt. Hi, Kate. Hey, Tim. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. We're going to get right into it. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your background. Where are you originally from and what was it like? <laughs> I'm originally from a little town in Pennsylvania, Southeast Pennsylvania called Chadsford, PA. Um, it's right on the line between, it's right on the Delaware line. It's right where Delaware takes a bite out of Pennsylvania. Um, what was it like? I was the third child of three, the only girl. I had two older brothers. Uh, I was very much a tomboy. I wanted to do everything that they wanted to do. So I um, tagged along with them playing all sorts of sports. I played, started playing ice hockey at a very young age, as soon as I could stand up, I guess, and, and put skates on my feet. And I played boys ice hockey. Um, all through my childhood, I had a very outdoorsy life, you know, like playing in the woods, um, pond hockey in the wintertime, sledding, just, we were kind of always outdoors. Um, so that, that's kind of how I grew up. I mean, then I was sort of an unremarkable student in uh, grade school, and then I wanted to get a little bit more serious about my sports. Um so did that in high school and then uh, got recruited to play Division One ice hockey, women's ice hockey and Division One women's lacrosse. Um, so eventually chose Harvard and played those two sports there. And <laughs> after doing that for a couple of years, dropped out and went to music school <laughs> and then went back to Harvard and finished and finished my sports career and then went back to music school. I never, I did graduate from Harvard. I did not graduate from Berkeley College of Music, but I ended up, you know, being there for many, many semesters. So that was it in a nutshell. Well, that's, that's fantastic uh, <laughs> to know that. Based on this incredible story so far, uh, <laughs> what life experience had the greatest impact on you? Oh, it's such a, it's such a hard question. Um, you know, I'd have to go back to my childhood and say one of the sort of foundational experiences for me was the ability, I was lucky enough, my parents were able to send me to a summer camp when I was 12 years old, was when I started going, that was in Wyoming. And yeah, and it was, you know, I was able to, through that summer camp just to, to go hiking and backpacking and riding horses and just being in the wilderness as like a really young kid. I mean, 12 is pretty young to be backpacking for four or five days. Um, and I would go back every summer for about four summers and just increase my skills in those areas. And that was just a huge foundational part of my life. Uh, you know, being, being in the Tetons <laughs> at that young of an age is, and, and carrying a pack on your back and, you know, learning how to navigate and learning how to just stay safe in the wilderness. And yeah. How did you do this? Did your parents sent you there. So you were on your own with, with a, a yeah, it was a summer camp. So there were about a hundred other 
it was single sex. Um, so there were a hundred other girls and there were count campers and counselors and trip leaders and all that kind of thing. So, it, you know, it was just, it was, you were there, you had a group that was all the same age. So, you know, a bunch of 12 year olds and a bunch of 13 year olds and 15 year olds and like, like that. So we would just, I mean, it was all organized. The camp's been around for a really long time. So, but it was just such a foundational experience for me. It gave me a lot of, it really taught me a lot about self-confidence and taught me a lot about um, teamwork. <laughs> Sounds like you took to it right away too. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I, I just found it so, I mean, it was hard. I can remember, you know, my very first backpack, uh, we were, it rained the whole time and, you know, we were soaking wet and freezing and, but, you know, nothing tasted as good as a, a can of tomato paste s spread on a English muffin, you know, like. <laughs> it really <laughs> It was just, you know, like it just taught you those very basic um, fit, uh, skills, you know, self-reliance, teamwork. Um, learning how to take a bad situation and make it good, those kinds of things. That's awesome. Um, mm -hmm. very, I was very lucky. You're telling me this great story about you and uh -huh. your experience, your current, your experience. What would you say to anyone interested in an aspect of your experience? Meaning, if someone wanted to explore an idea or perspective opportunity based on what you can tell them, what would be the main thing to encourage or discourage them? Well, I think the thing I would say is just building off my last answer, which is get out into the wild, get out into nature with a capital N, um, you know, go try. And obviously you don't have to start with a 10 day long backpacking trip. I mean, start slowly, but, um, you know, go experience the backcountry and increase the amount of times that you go and increase the amount of days that you're there. And because I think nothing, I mean, this is something I still do. I still do a lot of backpacking and, uh, that nothing brings you closer to the essence of life than, uh, than nature, you know, than, and being in the middle of it and, uh, sort of the, the, the overwhelming, you really, you're, I mean, humans tend to be very self-oriented and when you're in nature and in the wild like that for days on end, you know, you really start to understand that it's not about you. <laughs> it's, Mother nature is just so huge and so powerful and uh, we're, we're just a little blip. We're just a little okay. breath and then we're gone. And, you know, there's so much, um, it just, it just really, for me, puts me in my place. It reminds me what's important. So that, that's what I would say. I would encourage people to do that because you, you learn so much about yourself and, and you learn so much about the world. Yeah, I have my minor version of that is just that. Uh, being on the beach by myself and just just understanding that you are not even a grain of sand. Yeah, you're so consequential. You know, That's compared it. to everything else, the vastness of everything. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the ocean does that for a lot of people. Yeah, you just, know, like, just, you just put you put you in total perspective. You just don't you just see how utterly insignificant you are. Mm -hmm. You know, 
So just two quick follow-ups on that. Is, mm-hmm. um, uh, ha- bonding with other people when you were, other girls when you were doing that, did you mm-hmm. get a greater understanding of people, of basic human nature from them? And when you did interact with locals, mm. what did you take away from them? Or what, you know, like, did they have the same appreciation? Did you get anything from them? Or would they matter of fact about it? Did they take it for granted? Or was there a combination? Or was anything striking about it? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, living in a cabin with 10 or 12 other girls when you're that age, you know, um, and, and it teaches you a lot about like, just being able to be comfortable and be yourself with any kind of person going through any kind of thing, you know, you can't have a lot of opinions and a lot of peculiarities without, you I mean, the whole point is to, to get along. So, um, I learned a lot about that, you know, just about teamwork and about that. Oh, what scares one person is the thing that fires other people up, you know, and you learn how to be a good friend. And I've been, I'm old enough that this was all going on in the eighties, you know, like, no, if you, we didn't, I didn't see my camp friends throughout the year unless I wrote letters to them. So that there was also that aspect of things. Like if you wanted to remain friends with someone, you really, had to work at it. Um, so I think that that's my answer to the question of, you know, teamwork and learning how to live with other people. And then in terms of meeting locals or, you know, interacting with them, I mean, we were sort of sequestered. Uh, so we didn't have at that age much um, interaction. I mean, we'd see people on the trail and uh, that kind of thing. And that was always interesting. I mean, it's just amazing to be 12 years old and carrying your own backpack and, you know, then seeing some adults pass you or, you know, come up beside you and they're wearing flip-flops on the trail. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it gives you a kind of confidence, you know. It's a great, it's a great lesson to learn at a young age because the rest of life is all about getting along with other people, you know, I mean, so. Yeah. The next question is, what action or actions would you reconsider? Say, your great energy and talent would be, to your mind, better directed elsewhere to something or someone or something more rewarding. This is so easy to answer for me. Uh, I really should be doing painting or sculpting. Yeah. Uh, yep. I, I have always done visual art since I was, before I can remember, I've always been interested in it. I always did it as part of my academics. You know, I was always taking a drawing class or a painting class, even through college. Um, And yeah, I just, I, I kind of came to a crossroads at one point in my life and just thought, okay, I'm here. I can either like really pursue painting and visual art and sculpting, or I can pursue music. I felt like I was at a crossroads and, um, and I decided to go the music route and mostly because I, I, I didn't want to regret not going down that path. Um, but so that's what I chose to do. So then that, so then for a really long time, I did, I put visual art away and, and really, really focused on my music. But, um, I don't know. I just don't, I don't sweat anything in, in visual art. Like, I don't give a. Sh- Am I allowed to swear? This is an adult. <laughs> this is an adult podcast. 
<laughs> I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about like my drawings and my paintings. And, um, I just have a, I have a kind of inner compass there. That's sort of undeniable for me in music. I do not have that. And I've spent a lot of time. I, I spend a lot of time trying to take that confidence that I have from visual art and bring it over to my music life. So, I mean, I have a joke with my, with my partner that they're like, you know, maybe once every month I'll be like, I should just quit all this music bullshit and start painting and sculpting. I mean, literally I say that like once a month, if not more. <laughs> so that's easy for me. That's what I would be doing. It's I mean, I, I was going through, here's like, here's, here's the, here's when I knew it was really true. Uh, I was going through some, you know, my mom and I were going through some old drawer in the house and we found a bunch of art projects from my brothers and me and, you know, in kindergarten and stuff like that. And I had made a little cardboard car. Uh, so it was sort of a sculpture. It wasn't a drawing. Um, and it said on it, art is the most fantastic. <laughs> I was like, Cool. Mic drop. I mean, there, that was it. That's what I should have been doing. Why did I, why am I doing anything else? So what was the biggest personal challenge you had faced? Was it a personal injury, a seemingly overwhelming task, a personal or professional goal, a difficult situation you had to overcome? The biggest personal challenge for me was 2010, 2011. 2011. Can't believe I couldn't remember for a minute. 2011, uh, my mom got diagnosed with ovarian cancer, stage 3C. And I was, I had just moved to New York and was really getting uh, settled and situated and ramping up my, you know, being a new musician in New York uh, and had just landed this incredible gig to go play in the Middle East for a couple months and literally was my bags were packed and I was leaving days and uh, you know in a few days and she got this news and so on a dime I I mean it was just it wasn't a choice I it, I just uh, broke my contract unpacked repacked moved home to my childhood bedroom and became her primary caregiver and walked her through hand in hand through that journey which, you know, I didn't know whether, none, neither of us knew whether it would last a year, you know, less than a year, more than a year, whatever. Her doctor, once she started major chemotherapy and she had a major debulking surgery and then frontline chemo. And once, you know, he, the best I could get from him was like, maybe she'll be lucky if she has two years. So, so, but I was in it for, till the end. So that was the hardest experience of my life. I mean, I've had other ones, but that, that trumped them all. If you choose to be there for it or do it, you know, and, and show up, it's a, it's a hard one, but it's yeah. an amazing, it's a privilege too. It's just, I mean, yeah. I, it, it was the hardest thing I've ever done and I would do it over again in a heartbeat. And it was, it was a privilege. So. What would you say was the transformational moment in your life? A meaningful gift, a reason to go off to something, uh, you know, being a parent, not being a parent, good job, bad job. Hmm. Transformational moment. I think 
the tra- a big transformational moment for me in my life was uh, when I started high school. I just had an epiphany, and I can't really explain it any other way. Uh, there's no, there was no precipitating event, but I just sort of, re- I realized, I didn't sort of, I realized in a moment that. I guess it was the transition from one thing to another that I could be anybody I wanted to be like that. There was sort of a clean slate and that I, that, that, that I could control that. Like that life wasn't just sort of mapped out for me. You know, I didn't have to just be the person I had been up until that point. Till about 14. I mean, this is, I think this happened to me when I was 14. I don't know where, what happened, where that came from, but it, it dawned on me in a moment. And from then on, everything was really different. I went from being a very unremarkable student to really excelling academically. And I was, in, yeah, I was, I played ice hockey and was very skilled at that at that time. Um, but you know, picked up a couple of other sports and took them a lot more seriously. And I don't know, just everything changed from then. And I think I, I sort of became a seeker of that edge, you know, that ability to use your mind to change your circumstances. So uh, based on that, uh, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? I, I, I think that I've always been spring-loaded. <laughs> spring-loaded. Like, I get up, my eyes wake up, and I'm out of bed. I'm, I've never been, I don't remember a time when I was, I'm the kind of person who lies in bed and wakes up slowly. Um I don't know if that's, uh, you know, because I had two older brothers and I was always chasing them, <laughs> you know, so I feel like, uh, I feel like there's always this, um, impulse to just get up and start, start seeing what the day has in store for me. Um, you know, now a days in my life, what gets me up is connecting with my partner she lives across the country in San Diego. So I, I'm always want to talk to her or hear from her. Um, she's three hours behind me, so I don't talk to her first thing in the morning, but um, we exchange messages overnight and, you know, getting to my instruments, uh, practicing, um, meditating, you know, just getting into my day and doing my things. I mean, I lead a life that's very much based around getting better at instruments and writing more songs and, and skills, you know, furthering myself. So I feel like there's always, I'm just a beehive of activity at any, any given time of the day. So, you know. What's the first thing you want to come to people's minds when they think of you? Oh man. First thing. Well, um, I actually, my answer to this is I don't have control over what people think of me. So I, I don't want them to think about me. <laughs> I want them to be present okay. and be in the now. I, I think that 
if people were I don't want them to I don't, I'm not I'm not saying pay attention to themselves I mean I say I mean pay attention to the present moment be in touch with the present moment mm-hmm. so um since you're saying that you want people to be in the moment um what mm-hmm. is your zen yeah my zen is zen actually <laughs> uh I've been studying zen uh I've been doing zen awareness practice with a teacher named Sherry Huber who has a monastery, a small, scrappy, amazing, awesome monastery called the uh, Zen Monastery Peace Center in Murphy's, California. And I was introduced to her and her work uh, two years ago. My life coach uh, had been given a book of hers by another client of his, and he actually hadn't even read it, but he mentioned it in a conversation we were having. And I always read whatever he whatever we talk about. So I went out and got the book. The book is called There's Nothing Wrong With You. Well, yeah, it, I think it. I think it's been around for a while. She's been around for a while. And uh, anyway, I read that book. It changed my life. I read it. I, I'm never not reading that book, frankly. And I just dove in head first. And so for the past two years, it's been now just really started a very solid uh Meditation practice. I mean, I had been practicing meditation for a while, but um, I don't know. It's just very different now. So Zen is my Zen. Actually, Zen is my Zen. <laughs> zen is your Zen. Um, yeah. I think I actually I've seen. Believe it or not, I think people have been citing, referencing that book on LinkedIn. Mm. People do some motivational stuff, and mm-hmm. I think that is actually something that's people that's a touchstone for a lot of people. I think. It's an amazing book, and it's been around, I think, since, well, I don't even know, but I could go get a copy of it right now and find out when it was first published, but I always keep five, four or five copies on hand because I give it away so much. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's been around for a while. I think it was her second book. Her first book was called um, Willingness is the Key, but uh, There's Nothing Wrong With You, I think, is sort of her, what she's most known for, but she's not, I mean, she's just a small, very passionate crew of people cool. who... Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's been a tremendous gift to my life. It's helped me a lot. Yeah. So we're going to get to the last of my 10 questions. And this is the one uh, I've had a, a very wide range of responses to this one. Mm. Uh, uh, the threshold. Uh, that's the point of no going back and you know it. You mm. know, you, you've crossed that threshold the door is closed behind you there's not even a door there anymore mm. uh, uh we've all come to that point in our, in our lives and um uh, the question is how did you know when you arrived there how did it feel to cross it what was the significance to you and uh, what did you leave behind what are you glad you left behind or what do you regret leaving behind that's a big question huh? mm, yeah there's, uh, there's two thoughts i have for this question um I mean, one is, of course, the decision to go and take care of my mom. I mean, it was just very clear that I was giving up my career and that I I was entering into the unknown 100%. The landscape was totally shifted and there was going to be, I was not going to be who I was. Let's put it that way. Um so, and that was apparent from the second I 
you know, got the news, essentially. I had gone home to see that my parents to say goodbye to them before I was going to go on this big trip. And the second she found out that the tumor in her abdomen was malignant and needed to be operated on immediately, I was like, right, take me back to the train station. I'm going back to New York. I'm unpacking. You know, I'll be back tomorrow. And so there was definitely nothing left. I mean, I put my guitar in the corner of my childhood bedroom and didn't pick it up for a year and a half. And even then, I really didn't get back to, um, you know, anything resembling music or what I knew, you know, a career in music for uh, probably five, five and a half years. Um, yeah, because she, she ended up living for four and a half, which was amazing and, and a very high quality life. And mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was incredible. And then, you know, I had to deal with the aftermath of, of her death in terms of my own mental, you know, psyche and, and just getting my dad sort of the ship righted and sailing in the right direction again that, you know, I wasn't like my mom died and I was like, okay, see you later. Um, you yeah, know, I, and, yeah, I stayed at home for practical stuff to do too, which is exactly. also wrenching at the same time, you're doing all this stuff and it's killing you right. but in order, in order to, in, to, you have to do all those things and yeah. it, it is, it, it's murder. It, it, I, yeah. I, yeah. So I had to stick around afterwards for a while and, um, and just help and make sure he was okay. And, you know, and then I eventually came back to New York and um, all those things. So I think that that's one answer. You know, I don't know what I didn't. Ar- I, r- I arrived into a totally strange landscape. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think and then my other answer that I had thought about was just, the, again, like, you know, what do I want people to think about me or I have a, I, my answer to this is just that there's no such thing as a rival. Maybe, you know, it's just like a constant unfolding of the moment. And if we can just be present and be okay with being present, then, I mean, I believe we're all adequate to our lives. So, and we're, we're, when we're present, we're the, we're adequate. Thank you.